Take our Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we'll begin in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. Hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. It has been suggested that one of the unintended consequences of the prosperity that we've enjoyed in this country is that we often seem to have unique trouble dealing with suffering. That's not to say we don't, that even in spite of our prosperity and what is Uh, a lifestyle that other cultures around the world and throughout history could only dare dream of. It's not that we don't suffer. It's just suggested that because we have done so well, this is hard for us. I I heard one researcher make the comment that unlike any other culture ever in human history, no culture has devoted so much of its time and resources to avoiding suffering like the American culture. I mean, you talk to people, some, and it's almost like while we would admit, yes, we suffer, yes, we have pain, yes, we have difficulty, but we kind of talk about it as if this isn't how life should normally be. We talk about our pain and suffering as if it's some kind of, of, of unique uh, intervention in our lives, and it's something to be either you get through it quick or do whatever you can to get around it. Now, listen, before we go any further, I, I'm not suggesting we should all, with great glee, go looking for trouble and problems, right? In other words, if life's going good for you, I'm not suggesting that tomorrow you go look for ways to make it bad. Okay? 
because it's probably coming anyway, right? However, I think there is something to be said about the challenges we often face. In fact, it almost seems to be assumed out there that that I could avoid these problems if only I could get a little more money, if my relationships could get better, a little bigger house, a little nicer car, better cable TV package. If I could just use how to learn how to use my time better, if we could do all these things then and, and only then, but then would I finally be happy and content and satisfied? I, I read another article that put it this way. We want to be help, happy. We want to be healthy. We want to be wealthy. This only seems natural. What is not is that we want to be wealthy without having to work all that hard or study all that much. We want to be healthy without having to eat well and sleep well and exercise regularly. We want happiness and love and contentment, but we don't want to suffer or sacrifice. And what we want, we want it now. Of course, even me saying these things out loud, I think we see two strains happening here. On the one hand, I think we can see this operating in our own heart sometimes. But yet then there's the the realistic part of our minds. We recognize we're not going to avoid suffering. Life is going to hurt. Life is going to hurt in unexpected ways. In fact, the real challenge is that sometimes things are real hard. You didn't know it would be hard. And things that you thought would be hard turn out not to be hard. And this is is kind of how it works sometimes, right? Nonetheless, we know challenges, pain, hurt, sorrow. This is just the way life can be. And if our goal is to simply get rid of it all, I think we're setting ourselves up for failure. But we do have good news. I know you hear an introduction like this and you think, wow, this is going to be a great one. All right? Glad I came. This is going to make us all happy and It's going to be fun. Well, maybe not, all right? Not all sermons um, bring my jovial, upbeat attitude, all right? Um, Some of you laughed at me, like, you know, and I'll preach, I've heard you preach enough. This is right on course, all right? This is exactly kind of in your wheelhouse. And the good news is, though, is that the the Bible doesn't make us suffer through suffering without giving us some kind of instruction about how to suffer through suffering. In fact, those people who say, and I've heard them, those people who say, well, you know, the Bible is just kind of a, a wishful thinking. The Bible's not realistic. The Bible doesn't paint a realistic picture for what life is like. And they have never read the Bible. There's a lot of suffering in the Bible. There's a lot of people who deal with a lot of hurt. It's an entire book about suffering by a guy named Job, all right? Paul, who we're going to look at here in just a minute, man, the guy suffered, suffered more than anybody in this room has ever suffered. Romans chapter 8. I think it comes along and gives us the best treatment of all of this. What does it look like to suffer well? That sounds like an odd thing to say, but I think it's legit. How do we suffer well? How do we we endure it? How do we persevere? We know we can't just take the fast track around it. We don't want to ignore it. What do we do with it? Especially in light of the fact that God's a good and loving God. Why does God even let us go through stuff like this? 
Paul addresses all of these issues in Romans 8, 18 through 30. Paul lays out for us and laid out for the folks in Rome, encouraging these people who, by the way, were facing persecution like you and I would not have a concept of, especially a few years after this letter was written. They're going to find themselves seriously under uh, trial and persecution for their faith. So I think what Paul is doing here for them is encouraging them to patiently endure their suffering by looking forward to the glory that's coming. And this this is kind of the essence of what Paul's instruction is going to be. And so I think for us, I think this is an important mindset we develop. This is what this Word does for us. It, It forces us to think about this life and the next life in the right way. This, I think, is what helps us endure and persevere, uh, even in spite of real challenging times. We kind of kicked this off last week, looking at verse 17 as a transition then into this next section of the book of Romans, and, and really asking the question, so what do we need to understand in order to develop this kind of mindset when it comes to suffering? Well, number one, we looked at this one last week, the path to future glory takes us through present suffering. In other words, we kind of laid the groundwork last week. This is the path God has for you. I will go ahead and tell you this now, church, and I, know that, and I don't say this easily. I recognize the words I'm going to say bring great weight to them, but the truth is your life is on a path that includes, in some shape, form, or fashion, hurt and heartache. And sorrow. At times it can be worse than others. And that's not to say every day of your life is necessarily a dark day. The truth is this is the path. And the reason this is the path is because we live in a sin-stained, broken world. We are sin-stained, broken people. The only way out is God's glory to come. So, so this, this is the fundamental point that he makes. If, if, if we're looking forward to all the benefits of salvation, the glory to come, and we should be, and there'll be more about that in the second point, looking forward to that glory to come, we recognize, though, that the path to get from A to B, the path to get from where we are as believers in Christ, the path to getting to glorification, the path will wind its way. Some very difficult times. Then Paul gives us then this second principle. A second principle, and if you want to fill in blanks, these should be in your, in your outline if you want to look in the back of your bulletin. And again, this really gets to the heart of developing what I would say is a mindset for dealing properly with suffering, and that is glory's greatness far outweighs today's suffering. Glory's greatness far outweighs today's suffering. And let me just make a note here. You'll notice nothing about my outline, you know, and we're not going to get through it this morning. All right, this is a, an extended sermon of six points. Um, there's no alliteration here. You all know I love to alliterate, right? And if I have two points that are alliterate and the others don't, then we have to force the others into it, all right? My preaching professor said never do this. He's only showed up one time. All right, he did show up one time, and it wasn't alliterated, so I was glad for that. But otherwise, I'm going to force it. I can't help it. But now this outline, it's no alliteration, no fun little structure sequence that all kind of rhymes or sounds the same. These are just all points, all right? Because, not that I don't want to be careful the other times, all right? 
but I think this is just such a heavy, weighty matter. I want to make sure we're very clear. Very clear, and so you're not going to be subject uh, to my need for alliteration or parallelism. Okay? All right? So glory's greatness far outweighs today's suffering. Look again at verse 18. Paul begins with the phrase where he says, for I consider, and I just want to make a comment here when he says, for I consider, don't, that, that, that's not an opinion. When he, when he begins with this formula, he's saying, I have thought deeply about this, and this is absolutely certain. Sometimes we might say, well, I consider this to be, we're using it kind of loosely as if I'm giving you an opinion and take it or leave it. When Paul says, and he does it more than once, by the way, in his letters, when he says, for I consider, that this is not his opinion. He's not just spitballing here, all right? He's not just off the top of his head. What he's about to say is absolutely certain. For I consider, I'm absolutely certain of, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I, I know in our minds, we, we might hear that, we might read that and think, okay, yeah, theologically, okay, I get that, but do, do we really embrace what is the mindset here that Paul's giving to us? Note the word worthy. This is a word of, of comparison, in a sense. In fact, it could be drawn from the business world. Think of a pair of scales, all right? Go back old, olden times where a scale may have been used to determine the value of something. For example, let's, let's say somebody brought to a particular buyer of gold a hunk of metal that looked like gold. He would have in his possession a metal that he already knew was gold. He'd put that on the scale. He'd take your hunk of metal and put it on the other side of the scale. As a master of being able to read the weight of things, he would be able to tell by how those scales would balance. If your rock was worthy of being called gold. He'd know it. He could tell by how your rock, if it was equal size to his, he could tell by the scale of things. So notice how Paul's using that language, but he's using it to the other extreme. He's saying, I am absolutely certain, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that the sufferings of this life don't even have a starting point as a comparison for the life to come. He says, it far exceeds, far exceeds it. There's no comparison to this point. So here's what this means. This means when I'm thinking about my suffering, when I I encounter any kind of hurt or pain or the hurt and pain of others, here's what's not going on. God is not keeping tab of all of your hurt and pain in this life And then your life in heaven is equal in good stuff to what you faced in bad stuff. Some people do live their lives this way, by the way. Assuming that if whatever happens over here, God's going to give me 
equal value to the other side over here. So whatever pain and hurt I've, I experience, and when I get to heaven, that's going to be equally to the good. Paul says, baloney. He didn't actually say baloney, but I like to say it every now and then, all right? I like baloney. Suddenly somebody here is hungry for a sandwich, all right? But so, this isn't any, anywhere near being what he's getting at. My suffering in this life, listen, let your mind wander with this. Think about how bad some people could suffer in this life. Maybe some of you. What Romans 8.18 says, it's the glory to come. It is of such greater glory. It is of such greater value. It is of such immense significance and benefit and joy and peace. It is of an experience so far beyond the suffering that you're facing, they're not even on the same scale. It's not even worthy. It's not worthy to be compared to what's to come. And I, and I got to tell you, I think this has got to be the place where, where we understand this, we, we settle this in our minds and hearts. These two things are not of equal value. Th- that in fact, what the suffering is doing, the suffering is guaranteeing for me a far greater glory to come. These are not of equal value. Say it like this. Let's say I gave you two options. I'll give you five dollars right now. Five dollars. All right. I see a couple hands went up. All right. Why don't you just hold on for a minute? I'll give you five dollars right now. Or literally run home and run back, and I'll give you five million dollars. Somebody's lacing up their shoes, right? All right, preacher man, I can't run. I might need an ambulance. But you know what? I I think the deal's worth it. See, now at that point, now what if I just said, I'll give you $5? Okay, all right. Y'all would line up. I know you people. You'd line up here. I'd have to give away a lot of money, okay? You all would, yeah, five bucks. Put it in my hand, preacher man. If I don't give you any comparison, if I don't give you anything to think about, all right, five bucks. But if then I say, but your other option is you endure for a little while, home and back, and then I'm going to give you $5 million. Now, all of a sudden, does that $5 seem like much money? No. Is there a comparison between $5 and $5 million? No. There's no comparison. These are not on the same level. In fact, you'd think, you're crazy, right? This doesn't make any sense. Paul is saying this is the mindset that God's people need to entrench in their minds and hearts because this is exactly what's going on. It's not to make light of the suffering. And don't hear this, by the way, church. Just because I use silly illustrations doesn't mean I'm going to make, I'm making light of what may be your hurt and pain. Instead, what, I'm not making light of the hurt and pain. I think Paul is trying to make great the glory to come. That's what he's trying to get rooted in us. And we'll see glory's greatness far, far and away outweighs 
what we may be facing here today. Paul says this differently. If you go to the, the verse, 2 Corinthians 4.16, in the midst of another text, which by the way we'll reference again, uh, it's a passage that I, I find myself gravitating toward uh, when doing funerals. So in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul has talked about his ministry. He's described himself as, as having this valuable resource in a jar of clay. So as you, he said, so I'm just a pot, but what I've got inside, you know, the gospel is of great value. And he talks some then, you know, a, a, about the suffering that he has endured. But then he says this, and notice how he's not talking just about himself. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice how the language gets even a bit more specific than what Paul has here in Romans 8, 18. Our light affliction. He's not making light of it. Instead, he set up a comparison between glory and affliction. And in comparison, our affliction is indeed light. And he says, it, it's but for a moment. It's but for a moment. Again, the reason he's able to say that is because he has an eternal mindset. He's viewing these things from the perspective of a divine perspective of forever. So he's able to say, it's light, it's but for a moment, but his primary concern is noted in that second phrase. And it's working a far exceeding and eternal, far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, this very thing that's causing suffering is in fact part of the process God is using to ensure what is the greater glory to come. Far greater glory. So church, here's how I want you to think about these things. When you think about death, it's nothing compared to the life to come. When you think about sorrow, it's far lighter and far less than what is the joy to come. When you think about your anxiety and your fear and your worry, just know it is, it is much lighter and it is far less than what is the eternal peace of God that's coming in glory. For every suffering that you face, there is a greater and eternal and contrasting benefit that's guaranteed to you. Now, this brings up an important point. We're not talking about, oh, we're not talking about getting out from under your suffering. The Bible never promises that, that could happen. Never promises that that's, that that's going to happen, that, that you're never going to have to face things again. Instead, this is a means by which we endure even through the most difficult of times. By the way, just in case you're wondering, does Paul really understand suffering? I mean, does he really? Does he really know what I've been through, preacher? Does he? Does he understand how hard things can be? Well, let's take a look at what Paul faced. He tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul tells us what he went through. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. 
I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. By the way, the Jews thought of two groups of people in the world. Jews and Gentiles. Who's giving Paul a hard time? Everyone. Everyone. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger, I mean, it sounds like a country music song, right? In danger in the, in the sea. <laughs> and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I have daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Which, by the way, that's a whole other sermon that I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, we'll preach. That how does Paul finish off this list of horrible things? His deep burden for the church. That the most plaguing thing on his shoulder is his concern for the church. So I can't help but insert this. It has nothing to do with the point, all right? A deep and abiding is your concern for the church. Do you have this kind of a burden for the church? That's really striking. But again, you want to ask the question, what does Paul know about suffering? Again, I'm not trying to be really difficult here. But he knows way more than anyone in this room. Way more. Way more. And what is Paul's point? For this light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's accomplishing for me a far greater and more exceeding weight of glory. Wow. Paul understands the glory to come far outweighs far outweighs what is the suffering now. So I'm going to bring up something that I brought up last week. I do want to be generous and I do want to be compassionate and I understand the difficulty in what I'm about to say but I I think we should think carefully about it. I referenced it last week. We bring it up again because I, th- I think that this particular verse demands it. I think in our day-to-day practice, the way in which we really approach life, we love this world way more than we should. Let me even say it more specifically. This is going to sound weird. You value, I value, let me put it that way, I value my experience with this life now way more than I should. Way more. When you read Paul's letters in particular, but not just that, really kind of the entirety of the Bible, and not necessarily every single chapter of every single book in the Bible, But you will find there is a consistent, almost constant voice in the Bible forcing the reader to look to the future. It's almost constant. Forcing forcing me to look to what's to come. Paul does this often. There's not one of Paul's letters where he does not spend some time 
addressing issues like this, that the glory to come, the second coming, the, the benefit of what all is going to come at the end of the time for believers, that this should really be uh, generating a mindset and a perspective of life that I don't think we generate very well today. I think we love this life too much. Here's where it comes out. I, I can promise you well, there's going to be disagreement here, all right? And you'll say, ooh, oh, okay, I'll listen to this. Okay, all right, so there's going to be disagreement here, I promise you this. Because I hear people say, oh, oh yeah, 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 I want to go to heaven. Yes, yeah, heaven. Woo, great, sounds good. But I also, and this is how it, this is how it always sounds, but I also... I want to see my kids graduate. I also want to see them get married. I want, I want grandkids. I, I, I've got a bucket list. Right? And now that's worded now. Well, it seems to be weird. Anyway, and I know that's a thing, and I know it's got history, but anyway, a bucket list. So I've got all these things I want to do. I've got all these things I want, I want to see. I've got all these experiences that I want to have in this life before I go to the next. And listen, only you and your own heart, only me and my own heart, only we can really tell, is this a thing? Is this a problem for me? But my bet is, for almost all of us in this room, we think way too highly of these things and not highly enough about what's to come. I think that's true. Again, I'm not suggesting you should want to die tomorrow, all right? I'm not being as morbid as that, and I'm not saying it's wrong to want to see, you know, kids, grandkids, marriage, experience things. These are all phenomenal gifts from God, all right? I agree with that. But I'll tell you, your bucket list on this earth wouldn't even qualify for a garbage can in glory. Post that on your Facebook. <laughs> All these wonderful life experiences, they are not worthy to be compared. And listen, we don't want to miss also the very last couple of words in that verse, verse 18. Because notice what, what, what specifically he's saying. I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us, for us, in us, in us. See, listen, this, this is not like, don't compare heaven to like some really, really awesome form of retirement. All right? Your, your best retirement, again, would be, like, would be like working the most laborious job ever compared to glory. Because what is, what's going on here? There is something being done in you. There is a transformation. There is going to be a radical 
reformation of not just soul and spirit, but body and mind and all of it. There's going to be such a radical transformation of what you are experiencing right here and right now that I am telling you, church, whatever little experience you don't get to have in this life, that won't even be a passing thought when you get to glory. When you are thus glorified, and do you, know what, you want to know why? You want to know what the fundamental reason why all that's coming is so much better? One word. Jesus. Jesus. Now I can tell, in some faces, that's anticlimactic. You're thinking, oh, is he going to let us in on some super secret heaven thing? All right, that's coming? I don't know, we're going to be able to fly? I don't, what else are we going to be able to do? What's, what's he talking about? Wow, one word, flying. All right, wouldn't that be awesome? Now, maybe you can, I don't know, okay? But I'm here to tell you what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is not streets of gold. By the way, the text only says there's one street of gold. You can look that up. Some of you may not believe that. All right, anyway, so you're going to have to go read the entire Bible and find out. Okay, so some people may say the pearly gates, right? Peter's sitting at the pearly gates? Nope, he's not doing that either, okay? Because the text also says the gates are always open. All right, so anyway, there's a whole lot of things about heaven, but people think, all right, so is, is this what makes heaven heaven? Is it the trees that bear fruit every month? Is this what makes heaven heaven? Is it, uh, I don't know, what, whatever you have in mind when you think about heaven. Is that, is that heaven? Is it, uh, I've got a mansion just over the hillside? All right, is that, is that it? I mean, is that what heaven? No. I mean, all these things may be there, right? There are, there are houses there. Jesus has gone to build them, okay? What makes heaven heaven? Jesus makes heaven heaven. Jesus makes heaven heaven. It, it is the presence of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ, the one who bore the nails for you, the one who was beaten, the one who was crucified, and the one who bore God's wrath because you are born dead in your trespasses and sin, the one who was willing to have God pour out on him all of the judgment, all of the fury against all of, the, all of your sin, the one who bore that and was broken and crucified and killed by God, and that one who then rose from the dead, and that one who ascended into glory, and that one who one day will burst forth in glory and come back for his own, that one who will call the dead up out of their graves, and those of us who are sons of God will be transformed from our lowly bodies to match his earth, his heavenly body, the, that, that, that Jesus Christ. Christ, who one day will then gather us all together to be with Him in glory. The reason heaven is heaven is not necessarily because all these great things, but you're going to have them. Heaven is heaven because in that day, you will finally see Jesus Christ, and you will be as He is. That's why it's heaven. That's why it's glory. And that's why the text is so clear. Whatever I am facing here, it's It's light. In fact, Paul even also says, I see dimly here. See through a veil. See through a shadow. But there, oh, there the veil will be lifted. And I'll see glory for what it is. Understand this, church. You, don't, you and I, we don't have a mind to be able to really conceive of the glory that is to come. But we can know this. It will far outweigh whatever suffering you're facing. So, so as, as we bring this to a close, I know... I know you're worried. Man, we got through verse 18. I know. Here's a promise. Next week, we'll get through verses 19 through 22. All right? 
We'll triple the verses we get to next week. Woo, that's glory. All right. I promise we'll do that. But, but until then, so th- there are ways then to think about this verse uh, and how it's to be brought to bear on our lives. And like I say, every week, because every text in one way or another leads us here, and what I just said for sure leads us here. The only people who have this promise, this second point, are those who know Christ. See, because there's a corollary here. If you don't, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, then your suffering here is a far greater glory than what's to come. Did you, did you hear that distinction? The glory for us is far greater to come. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, this is as good as it gets. And it will only get much, much worse. It's incomparably worse to be eternally separated from God. So if you've never confessed that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. If you've never asked God to save you based on what Christ and Christ alone has done for you, submit to the gospel. Trust Christ as your Savior. If you want to know more about that, I'll be down front. You can come. I'd love to pray with you, talk with you more about that. Even after the service, I'll be down front. If you'd like to talk with me more, then I'd be glad to do that. The believers. Say, no, no I'm, I'm, saved. I'm, I'm saved. I've done that. And I know the greater glory is to come. What is your suffering? What is it, what is it that, that can blind you today from the glory that is to come? Is, is, is there a, a pain or a hurt that lays heavy on your heart? If you'd like to pray, you could always come here and pray. You could, I would pray with you. Pray where you are. How, how is it that God's Word needs to be brought to bear on your life? As, as we sing together, what, what a perfect way to think about these things. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I see. When I look upon His face, and this, this, is, this is the glory to come. So maybe that's where you need to rest this morning. Maybe that's the hope that, that needs to once again be given life to in your heart and mind. How will you respond to His Word today? Let's stand and I'll pray. And after I pray, we'll respond then in song. Father God, we do thank You again for uh, the gathering of Your people, for the opportunity to think about uh, such, such a deep and weighty matter, for the promise of salvation, for what is the greater glory to come. God, we Oh, we thank You for the promise of salvation in Christ Jesus, and for the Jesus that one day we will see face to face and we will be as He is. And so, Father, I pray that You now by Your Spirit would continue to bring this Word to bear on our lives, uh, to produce whatever needs to be produced in us, uh, to continue to, to push us toward Christ-likeness, thinking the way You would have us to think, and that You'd be glorified through any decision that may be made here today. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.